When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And there is one place to start, uh, breaking news this afternoon. Everton have confirmed the worst-kept secret in their football calendar. Uh, Hummel will be the new kit supplier ahead of next season. A three-year deal and a club record deal with it too, uh, signed, sealed and announced today. Um, so before we get on to talk of 95 and uh, Project Restart, chaps, um, initial reaction, we haven't seen any kits yet. You know, we, we don't know when yet. The club are going to make an update on that in, in a couple of weeks. Um, but on the on the outside, on the surface, pleased with Hummel? Yeah, I've got to say, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a big fan. Uh, as, as you quite alluded to there, it's uh, not exactly the best kept secret in football that Everton were going to announce this sort of thing. So we've maybe had a little bit of time to uh, plan ahead and think about it. But, you know, looking back at some of the kits that Hummel have had in the past, I, I'm I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite enthused by this. I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, what they're going to come up with. It, seem, it seems like it's going to be a, a unique sort of design anyway, and that's... That seems to be something that uh, resonates with Evertonians. You know, we don't want these like copy and pasted kits from other clubs. You know, we want something that's unique to the Everton brand. And you know, it looks like Hummel will be able to provide that. So yeah, I'm I'm interested to see what they come up with. Preno, you know, for a man of uh, of your vintage, should we say, you will remember the great kits that Hummel provided for Real Madrid and the Danish national team. Of course, this isn't just a you know a Middlesbrough or or in you know in, in most recent Premier League terms, Villa from. 2005 or whenever it was. Unfortunately, I'm just about old enough to remember um, Hummel being a sport, the makers of the boots that Alan Ball sported famously uh, way back in 1970. And uh, back then, you know, they were like revolutionary white boots. Um, and I don't think Borley was all that delighted with them. He ended up actually painting them black and going out onto a pitch wearing them. And it rained and he got into trouble with Hummel as a result and didn't get paid the money he was supposed to have got paid. Obviously, since then, they've developed magnificently. Uh, first thing you do when you hear about a day like this, there's two ways of looking at it. There's the financial aspect, which is tremendous. I mean, it's effectively twice what they were getting from Umbro. So in commercial terms, it, it's an absolute no-brainer. And I was also quite taken by the line in your piece, Phil, about um, how Everton actually inserted um, a clause into the original contract with Umbro. It was a long-term contract, but if somebody else comes in in the space of 12 months and offers us more money, we can extricate ourselves from that contract. That just smacks of, you know, sort of very savvy commercial thinking as well, which I thought was a tick in the right box. And the next thing you do, as a fan, is going check out Hummel kits. <laughs> and, and, and they look decent. I mean, the Rangers kit that they do is very smart. The Coventry one is very, very well received. Um, so, yeah, you know, you want a nice, smart kit that's not the same as everybody else. And that's what Lecoq Sportive so famously did back in uh, 1984 and why it was, like, so well received by Evertonians because it was a bit different to what other clubs had. And as a result, you know, it resonated with the hipsters out there as well as the, uh, you know, the average football fan. So hopefully Hummel will do the same. Sam, high hopes for Hummel? 
Yeah, Say that so. when you've had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I, I always think the thing about kits, isn't it? You know, you look back on those, the kits everyone always talks about, ultimately kits that you do well in and that you win trophies in. I think that's why the, the 80s kits are so iconic. I don't think anyone's going to be going... Oh, I love that kit from Cummins last season. You know, it was a, it was a, it was an audible kit, but also because we were so bad, you would just never kind of think about it. I think some of my favourite kits growing up were probably the years where we did do quite well. Maybe the the one where we finished fourth and stuff like that. So you've got to hope the, uh, the kind of the swap to Hummel brings some good times on the pitch. And as Adam's saying, I think that's something that definitely resonates with Everton and football fans in the in the wider scope as well. I think people are getting a bit sick of copy and paste kits and all kind of just being given the same the same old stripe with different colours really, isn't it? It seems like we're going to get a really kind of uh, custom-made design of Hummel. So it's all good. And, and in Carlo's first full season as well. So it's all shaping up to, to be a really exciting term next year. No, that's a good shout actually by Sam because the psychology of football kits you sometimes overlook. 1986, which was right in the middle of like that glorious Everton era, they had one of the most hated kits in Everton history, you know, the white bib, purely because we came so close to winning the double and lost it each time. Likewise, 97, 98, although to be fair, I remember writing about this kit at the outset of that season and saying how it was appalling even before a ball of being kicked. because it wasn't even royal blue. It was like a washed out, very, very mm. pale blue. And, you know, it then became one of, like, the worst seasons in living memory where we just about managed to stay up. So, yeah, psychology plays a part as well. So, who knows, you know, if Humble creates a kit that coincides with a very successful season on the pitch, yeah, it could become regarded as a classic. Well, neatly segueing on to the, uh, the meat of this, this podcast, um, how does the 95 kit look in, in, <laughs> in, on reflection now? Is it, is, it, is it a kit that we look, at, look back at fondly? I've got one in the wardrobe somewhere. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, still, still keep it uh, just for nostalgia purposes. I don't know. It's a, it, it's a weird one, that, because it was a wonderful day, absolutely a great season, even though it was a season of two dramatic halves because, you know, the first half was absolutely appalling and the second season was, you know, sort of joyous and, and relief mixed in equal measure. But you look back on that kit with a sense of fondness because obviously it's a trophy that Everton won. But I totally get also, you know, so why people are a little bit frustrated. It's 25 years ago now. And, you know, that's comfortably the longest period in the club's history, you know, without a trophy having been won. And so it's a bittersweet pill, really. Yeah, it's a lovely kit to look back on, and it's a nice bit of nostalgia to reflect on, but it's been far too long. And I understand why some fans are a little bit grumpy about that as well. Well, Adam, yeah, that, that was the, the, the thrust of this part of the pod and, and, and bringing 95 back onto the discussion of course today is his 25th anniversary of the win over Manchester United and you instantly and I, and I knew this before today the reactions online particularly and, and talking to people would be conflicted wouldn't it because as much as we've won the FA Cup in 95 and any trophy victory should always be remembered and and reminisced about it is as Prenel mentioned it's it's what comes with it it's the fact that it also brings that reminder Again, that it's been so long without a trophy. I mean, what do you do? You sense that today as well? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think Preno summed it up perfectly by calling it bittersweet. And I think you know it only it 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 brings it more into sort of perspective when you look back and you watch Howard's way and you're thinking to yourself, well, well, these these this squad was you know appalled that Everton had gone 14 years at that point without winning a trophy before they 
won the FA Cup against Watford, and now it's been you know eleven years longer than that. You know, me me and Sam have been Everton fans all our lives, and we don't remember the club lifting a trophy. You know, it's the longest barren period in the club's history, and it's it, yeah, it, it is just disappointing. And you know, but, I mean, I, don't, I I still don't think you can take away from you know looking back on you know that cup win in '95. You know, as as an event and as an occasion, it must have been. You know, huge for a, a huge number of Everton fans who were there on the day, and you know, we were in Liverpool at the time. You know, it would have been a, a massive occasion, and you know, Joe Royal's dogs of war doing it in the way that they did. It's you know, it's, a, it's it is still an incredible achievement, but yeah, it, it does just come with that little caveat behind it of you know, it it's really not been that good since, and you know, there hasn't there haven't really even been that many close calls since. You know, it's been. You know, one FA Cup final since since that point really, which is just that that's more disappointing than anything else as well. So, yeah, Sam was mentioning before. Fingers crossed. You know, Carlo Ancelotti at the helm now. You know, things can look a little bit different in the future, and you know, we might be able to celebrate this trophy draw finally coming to an end. But yeah, it, bittersweet is probably the uh, the right way to look at it. So, Sam, what what for you has has got to change for us to be, you know, routinely you know, fairly regularly, lifting trophies and for the first thing, end this drought. What, what's got to happen? Well, we, we won the FA Cup on the 20th of May 1995 and I was born on the 20th of June 1995, so maybe it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I could change. <laughs> um, it's just so tough, isn't it? You know, especially with everything going on now and, and the kind of the changing face of football and you look ahead to next season and you might have... You know, Newcastle could be in the mix now after their takeover and, you know, Leicester are looking to have a really good base after this season. I'd be surprised if they weren't challenging in some capacity again. You've got Tottenham and then you've got kind of the, the your Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, City and Liverpools as well. So there's, there's never been a more difficult time to be trying to win trophies in, in the history of modern football, I wouldn't say. So it, it's, it's not getting easier with, with each year that, that's going on. You know, I, I would say that we, we've definitely missed opportunities. I think we missed a few opportunities uh, under David Moyes, which I think, you know, eventually ended up with a few fans getting frustrated, you know, especially the, the 2011 semi-final to Liverpool as well. So there's, there's, there's been tough times, but at the, at the moment, I think you, you, you've got to just look to... There's definitely sort of squad, I think, that there's there that could certainly put together a run in a, in a League Cup, in an FA Cup, and certainly for the for the top six or seven in the Premier League, but uh, it definitely also needs additions as well. There needs to be a few new faces. With, and in the context of coronavirus and, and everything that's going to go on, how easy that'll be to kind of put together is is difficult. So, you know, you've got to, as Preno was saying, the last time we won a trophy was a season we nearly got relegated. It's not an impossible thing to do, but uh, at the moment it does just feel sometimes like it's getting further away and further away. And I really think that, with Carlo coming in, it just needed to happen because he he knows how to get it over the line. He knows how to to win these trophies. So it's it's, it's really starting to feel like it's a it's a now or never kind of scenario. We've got to get something under our belt in the next two, three, four years. Brent, I'm going to read you um, some quotes from Jenk Tosin uh, that that came out earlier this week. Um, he said, winning the Premier League title is a hard task given the presence of Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, and Manchester United. However, I think we can win the FA Cup or League Club because the club is, is running in a very professional way and we have quality players. But as Sam says, as much as that, 
would have been a, a, a truism maybe six, seven, eight years ago. The pattern of, of, of teams that have won the FA Cup and League Cup recently tells you that every trophy is fiercely fought for. Eve, Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, they would go, they're going out to win everything. Absolutely agree with that 100%. But there's always like the exception that proves the rule. And Leicester City were that exception, you know, in very recent memory. So for that to happen, I think you need three elements in place. One, you've got to have the right manager. And I'm confident that we have. I think he's absolutely the right manager at the time. But then you've got to double that up with good recruitment. And Marcel Brands has proved that, you know, so he's a man who's capable of doing that. Uh, obviously, financial fair play makes that more tricky nowadays. Uh, but, you know, we still have to get more players in the squad. Probably isn't good enough at the moment uh, to be lifting trophies. But then the indefinable element is a little bit of luck. Mm. You know, so you do need a little bit of good fortune along the way. And, uh, you know, if it's like Sylvain Distan not turning and playing a back pass at, you know, a crucial moment of a semi-final of... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of something in the Chelsea Cup final that didn't go wrong. I mean, Chelsea probably deserved that well on the day. Or oh, um, even in the, in the Man City League Cup semi under Roberto and the ball. Oh, exactly, yeah. You know, so a referee, you know, so making an awful decision and not noticing that, you know, a ball has gone out of play before it's dragged back in for, you know, City to, you know, so score a crucial goal. So, yeah, you do need an element of good fortune, you know, so in those periods. So you get all those three elements together. And, you know, so suddenly, you know, so you've got half a chance. But I do agree, it is harder now than it ever has been. Um, you've got so many high-profile elite football clubs, you know, so all battering against each other. And Everton used to be in that group, you know, it's only 20, only 20 years ago, uh, you know, so, OK, it's just before Sam was born, but, you know, it was you know, so in that era where Everton were part of that A-League group. And Everton really should be back in that A-League group again. But there's no divine right. I mean, you do have clubs that, you know, so suddenly, you know, fall from grace and never get back up there ever again. Uh, you know, Sunderland way back in the, uh, you know, the 30s and Huddersfield with the leading lights of English football and never, ever got back up there again. Everton have never suffered the fall from grace that they've suffered. But, you know, so equally, we're nowhere near where a club of Everton standing and historical achievement should be. And, uh, an awful lot of things need to be put in place for that to be restored. And some of those things are in place, but not all. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just staying with you, Prenna, are you optimistic about uh, in the short term seeing this drought come to an end? Relatively, yeah. Um, like I say, we've got the, the right manager in place and we've got the right man to recruit and bring in players. What makes it more difficult, of course, is the financial fair play issue. You know, you can't do what Chelsea did uh, when they suddenly got a wealthy benefactor and just start buying absolutely incredible players, as Manchester City did as well. Mm. Everything have got to be a little bit more savvy than that. Um, so that makes things a little bit more difficult. But yeah, I'm as optimistic as we can be. And of course, as the indefinable of the, the new stadium, who knows what that could do? You know, so that could be a real force for, you know, positive momentum around the football club and could attract incredible players. And we don't know. Fingers crossed that will be a force for good. Uh, and Adam, I suppose the, the other factor or one of the other factors in this is, you know, the football club particularly with new, relatively new faces, Marcel Brands, Carlo Ancelotti only came through the door in December. Farhad Mashiri, of course, has, has been with us for four years, but he's, he's planning over a long-term project, he's made mistakes, etc. but learning as we go. But again, if you asked those key figures, they would say, we need to be patient, but you can't keep asking for the fans' patience. It's 25 years, isn't it? Well, that's it. Like The fans have been desperately waiting for this for some time, and I mean, you know, 
especially since, well, since I've been watching Everton, at least, you know, when David Moyes was here for such a long period of time and then it looked like, you know, around the time of that 2009 final, it looked like he'd finally built up the head of steam that was needed to finally break through that glass ceiling almost and try and get us that trophy, but ultimately fell short. You know, Everton fans have been waiting for easily that long and have been not not only hopeful, but almost expectant of a trophy uh, coming up and, you know, I think, you know, the arrivals of Machiri, uh, Brands, and now more recently, Ancelotti, it's going to pile on the pressure a little bit now because, you know, we've got, we've clearly got a team of staff here who are, you know, elite level staff. You know, the, these these people should be delivering the kind of silverware that Ever- Everton fans want to see. So it, it, it's just going to be really interesting to see how that translates onto the pitch in the next, you know, months, years, etc. And I think Preno, Preno has touched on it there. You know, it, you do need a little bit of luck in uh, these sort of cup competitions, but you need to have the right sort of mentality as well. And I think Ever- Everton, Everton just haven't set themselves up over, the, you know, since I've been watching Everton at least. They've just never really set themselves up as this cup team. You know, the dogs of war had that mentality. The 80s side had it where they could go into these one-off games and they'd go, right, no, we're winning this game. We're going through to the next rounds, regardless of anything else. And I've never seen an Everton team have that sort of mentality. So, you know, it, it's hard to put your finger on how you how you build a team with that sort of mentality. But, you know, having Alex Ancelotti as a manager, you know, you're not going to really go wrong because obviously he's been there and done it before with so many other clubs across Europe. So, fingers crossed in the future, Everton, uh, Everton can stumble upon it themselves. You know, up until relatively recently, I don't know if it's still the case now, but certainly it was maybe only 10 years ago, Everton had this bizarre record for being the team that had been in the most FA Cup semi-finals in history. And yet, if you think about it, we've won the FA Cup five times. You know, we've only been in, is it like 11, 12 finals? And so, you know, how can a club that gets that close so frequently not push it over the line? And maybe it is something to do with mentality, you know, as well as having talented players, you do need to have this absolute winning mentality, you know, which the 95 group of players had. You know, and, it's, and again, another indefinable something that a squad of players needs. Sam, another element, of course, that has to be brought into discussion. What's more important to you in the next five years, say, say next five years, to see Everton qualify for the Champions League and, and, and get into the group stage in the Champions League having finished fourth or pick up a trophy. That seems this, there's this eternal debate going on now because of the importance you know, that, that's weighted on a top four finish and the money that's involved in the Champions League and, and, and the glamour and everything that goes with, with dining at that top table of European football. But what's more important for you? I'd probably, probably go... Ugh. I'd go Champions League, I think. I think it'd just be... Uh, one that would give you a platform to, to attract better players and then in turn you know you, you should then hopefully be competing for the, the top honours on a regular basis you know and I know it's been a little bit topsy-turvy for Leicester and they've had to kind of change managers a couple of times but you know after winning the league and getting into the Champions League you know they've kind of stayed up, up and around and obviously they won a trophy in the same in the same way but I don't know. I just, I just kind of feel like the the caliber of player certainly that we could attract with the money that Machidi has would go hand in hand with that. But then at the same time, it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because it it does seem to be like the albatross around the neck, not not winning a trophy, and we could qualify for the Champions League, go out in the group stages, and never be spoken of again. A little bit like what happened in two thousand and five. So such a difficult decision to make, and obviously, either would just be so good for. Evan at the moment. Any difference of opinion there? 
Yeah, I think it's an age thing, probably. I mean, uh, for me, it would always be a trophy every single time. Uh, they're, they're the days you remember. We're talking about 1995, 25 years hence. Uh, not just because it was you know the last time Everton won a trophy, but they won a trophy. We've done similar stories on 1984 and you know so the 1985 season. Uh, they are moments that you remember. The timeline on Twitter the other day was full of all stories of people about what they got up to in 1984, what they got up to in 1995. They're the things that people remember. And sure, you know, so qualifying for the Champions League and the days out that you have in Europe are also similar, but they can't quite compare with, you know, that emotion and that experience of actually winning and lifting a trophy. I can talk about this with experience because I've seen it and been it and done it on both sides of the divide. I've seen it as a journalist and it's you know a wonderful moment to actually be there writing about a moment of history. But equally, I've been there as a fan as well. And uh, they're just like moments that you take to your grave with you. You absolutely adore them. So, uh, yeah, I'd always say winning a trophy. The League Cup, for God's sake. Everton have never oh. won the League Cup. How can that be allowed to happen? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that's something that's got to change. Um, okay, moving on to the uh, final part of today's pod. Um, project Restart. You know, again, if we're talking about mixed emotions about looking back at 95, I think Project Restart sends some people a bit cold, doesn't it? But, look, it's 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 here and it's trying to get the Premier League back up and running, whether you agree with that or not. And I appreciate there's a, there's a, a divide amongst in, in opinion. Um, but Everton today back at Finch Farm uh, first phase of sorry tomorrow back at Finch Farm first was it today it's Wednesday yes today's yeah, <laughs> yeah. all the days emerging uh, <laughs> yeah back at Finch Farm today first phase of training small groups limited contact no contact social distancing uh, on the back of over 700 tests uh, six coming back positive um, Adam is just six tests coming back positive from over 700 of players and staff in the Premier League, a positive figure, or is it six too many? It, it, it's, it's, it depends on the way you look at it, isn't it? You know, if you were to look at it as individuals and you were to say, I think it was like 784 tests and only six came back positive, you, you'd have to look at that as, you know, a bit of a bonus. But out of 20 Premier League clubs, three of them had positive tests, so instantly that's looking a bit worse. Uh, we know that three of these positives have come from Watford as well, uh, one player and two members of staff, I think it was. So, you know, if you've got that level of problem already at a club when you're bringing back phase one, you know, is that is that set to get even worse as, as we go down the line? You know, that's, it, it, it really is interesting because I, I just don't think it's, I don't think these positive test results have helped in any way, shape or form, really. I, I think... They're just going to keep continue dividing uh, the debate, but we're 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 down the line now, and uh, and, and I suppose you know the the methods that, of training that have been suggested. I think they you know for somebody who's not a scientist or anything like that, you know they seem all right to me. You know bring bring players in. You know they're never within two meters of each other. You know they're here for what is it like seventy five minute, ninety minute sessions, and then they're gone again. And then Finch Farms getting deep cleaned every day. So you know, it seems it seems like it's going to be all right to me. But you know, if these if these we you know keep periodically testing players and staff, you know, if these if these numbers start to rise, then you, I just can't see I can't see how it's going to be uh, continue to be viable. So you know, I think the only good the only good return from from these tests would have been a zero. Like if we've had zero positive, then you've gone you've quantifiably been able to go all right. That's that's fine. But as soon as there was at least one, then you're thinking to yourself, where, where do we go from here? Mm. 
Sam, um, another element, of course, of the of the whole project restart is it's been inevitable for a long time, but behind closed doors football, uh, certainly from Everton point of view, was only officially acknowledged as an inevitability uh, this weekend when they set about uh, plans and options for season ticket holders and, and people who've got match tickets for the remaining five home games to get refunds. Um, what, how do you, I, I know we've asked various questions on behind closed doors on the pod across lockdown, but as it becomes, as it, you know, as it becomes an even more of a reality of how the season would get going again, how do you feel about it? Um, to be honest, I was saying yesterday that I kind of do like the idea of a. Obviously, the the ideal scenario is is for us all to be healthy and safe again, and, and watching it at Goodison. But the kind of with the Euros now being pushed back a year, the kind of footy bonanza on the telly, like 60, 70 games spread across six or seven weeks. Then yeah, for the for the viewer, I think it's it, it could be a nice a nice spectacle for the players. I think it'll be difficult. I think obviously, you know, that it, it's just natural. To, to get spared on, isn't it, by 40,000 fans backing you and, and we're going to be missing that and we're going to be missing that atmosphere. It's going to be a difficult atmosphere, a, a Merseyside derby played to, what, a handful, 40, 50, 100 people in a stadium, an assortment of, of various people. It's it's not great from, from that respect. So it's all just new territory, isn't it? So but from watching the, the games in Germany the week, it was... It was almost just like watching a bit of a, a pre-season friendly and then you realise that obviously there's points and promotions and relegations and titles on the line. So it's going to be incredibly interesting to, to watch the product that the Premier League put on, see what changes they make, see what, what comes out of it. And yeah, I, 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 like, I like the fact that football's coming back and I like the fact that we'll be able to watch some football teams in the next four to six weeks, providing everyone stays healthy and, and such would they do. But at the same time, you know, to, to think that we won't all get to, to be in Goodison for a, for a derby and, and, and be there for the last few games of the season, it's it's also sad, isn't it? So it's, it's difficult, really. Where do you sit on, 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 on this argument? I, I understand both points of view. and um, But I'm sort of falling on the side of, I think we have got to try... Um, every other element of society is being encouraged, or sorry, not every other element, but large elements of society are being encouraged to go back to work, which is why we've seen, you know, sort of busier buses and busier trains, you know, sort of in cities over the last uh, four or five days. So I don't see why football should be the exception. Um, footballers are being urged to go back to try and lift the spirits of the nation and give, you know, people who are in lockdown, you know, so something else to focus upon. Um, six positive tests from 760 yards, or is it eight from 760 yards, is very, very positive. And it's also very much in line with Germany, who I think they had uh, twice as many, but from 1760 odd tests. Um, so, you know, therefore, it's online with Germany, who also came back successfully at the weekend. And th- despite what you thought of the football behind closed doors, it was better than no football at all, I thought. Yes, it wasn't great, it wasn't ideal, but it was watchable, you know, and it was certainly something that you could, you know, sort of focus on and discuss and talk about. The big problem, I think, we have here 
is Troy Deeney. And, uh, you know, so his experience, totally understandably, he said that, look, I'm not going back. I've got a five-month-old child who's got respiratory problems, therefore I won't play. And you totally understand why he would take mm-hmm. that stance. So that then places Watford into a position whereby their skipper isn't going to play. You know, so could they then feasibly say, we shouldn't be part of this, you know, project restart? And that creates the, the whole situation then is thrown into a bit of a quandary. So it's, it's a very, very precarious ledge that we're balanced on at the moment. Um, and it just takes, like you say, like, you know, a couple more positive tests to come back and the whole thing could be, you know, sort of back to square one again and we all go into lockdown again. But I do think we have to try. I do think we have to try and follow the German lead. And, uh, you know, they've got a successful restart going last weekend and are going to continue again this weekend. And I think we have to try and do something similar. OK, interesting. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there. Lean and Mean podcast uh, for the first one of the week and we'll be uh, back on Friday as usual. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Chaps, thanks for your company there. We discussed Hummel, Mixed Emotions in 95 and, of course, the latest on Project Restart. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.